welcome to another exciting podcast from Living Faith Church. It's our hope and prayer that today's message will bring you closer and deeper to the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here is our lead pastor, Pastor Dean Hackett. Home of a Pharisee. And when he arrived there for the dinner engagement, uh, he was he was not the only guest. There were some other guests that were invited. And as they sat down to the dinner meal, uh, they had a very interesting experience. Now, when we think of that in, in our minds, we probably think of uh, a dinner meal looking like what Leonardo da Vinci painted in his painting of the Last Supper. And this is how we think about it, okay? But this is very westernized. This is according to Western thinking. And not at all like the Hebrew and Semitic culture. So when they sat down to dinner, this is not what it looked like. It looked more like this next picture. Okay, They would, they would recline at dinner. And some places in scripture, it even talks about that they reclined at dinner. Okay, When in the, in the Hebrew... When it talks about a table, the root of the Hebrew word that's usually translated table in English literally means a leather mat. And the reason is because in the Semitic culture, they would roll out a mat and put dinner on a mat. Now, later in the Semitic culture, it became a very low standing table about that high. Kind of, kind of like what you have seen uh, in movies and things of the Chinese culture. Okay, very low table. The reason is because in that Semitic culture, they would gather around that mat, the men laying on their left side very comfortably, and then leaning on their left forearm and elbow, and very comfortably. And that's and that's how they would they would eat dinner. Okay, not at all similar to our Western culture. Okay, now why this is important to you is because in this story that's recorded in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 to 50, it talks about that while they are at dinner, an uninvited guest comes in. And it says the guest stood at the feet of Jesus crying. And you go... You know, when we think about it in Western culture and they're all sitting at dinner like we do, you go, how did they stand? Did Jesus pull away from the table and turn around? And how did, how did that happen? Well, now looking at this picture, you can see how it happened very naturally. This guest came in and stood at the feet of Jesus crying. And she began crying so profusely, she began to cover his feet with tears. And then she knelt at his feet and began wiping her tears from his feet with her hair. And then she began kissing his feet. While she's continuing to cry and wipe his feet with her hair, she's kissing his feet. And then when she came in, she had a jar, an alabaster jar of oil. And she began 
to rub that oil into the feet of Jesus while she continues kissing his feet. Now, the Pharisee was really offended by this uninvited guest coming in. And he's thinking in his mind while all this is going on, if this was really, truly a holy man, if he was really a holy man, if he was really the man of God that, that, that his reputation says he is, he would know who this woman is and he would not allow her to touch him. In the meantime, Jesus is looking at this woman, knowing very well that she is a prostitute. And while he's looking at her and seeing her, he says to the Pharisee, Simon, for that was the Pharisee's name. Simon, I would like to say something. And Simon said, uh, say on, teacher. What do you have to say? Jesus said, there was a loan officer that had two creditors. One owed him 500 denarii. Another owed him 50 denarii. Now, let me pause the story here for just a moment and explain to you because we have no frame of reference for what that means. But a denarii is a silver coin. Okay, minted in the Roman Empire. This is one with a picture of Emperor Hadrian on it. And it was one eighth ounce of silver. Now that was a full day's wages. And so when Jesus is talking about this one creditor that owed 500 denarii, he owed 500 days of wages. The other owed 50 days of wages. Now, let's put that in modern day terms. And let's say that this person makes $15 an hour. So $15 an hour, an eight-hour workday, that's $120 a day. Take $120 a day times 500. That means that person in today's parlance owed $60,000. Okay? The price of a new Ram truck. Okay. The other owed 6000 Okay? So we're all on the same page, right? Back to the story. So Jesus says, these two men on this loan officer, this is about but neither one of them can pay their loan. And so the loan officer decides to release them from the loan and forgive their debt. Jesus continues, Simon, which one will love that creditor the most? And the Pharisee answers, well, I suppose the one that owed him the $60,000. Actually, he said it this way in the scripture. I suppose the one that was forgiven the most. Jesus said, 
You've answered correctly. Then he says, see Simon, see this woman. He wants her, he wants this Pharisee to look carefully at this woman. See this woman? Jesus continues. When I arrived at your home, your servants washed the feet of all your guests, but they didn't wash my feet. But this woman has washed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. When I arrived at your home, you greeted your guests with a kiss of greeting. I received no kiss of greeting. But this woman, from the time she has been here, has not stopped kissing my feet. Simon, when I arrived at your home, you refreshed all of your guests by anointing their head with oil. But you didn't anoint my head with oil. But this woman has anointed my feet with that very expensive oil from that alabaster jar. She's anointed my feet with the oil. Simon, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, are forgiven. And there was a collective around the table. And then Jesus looked at that woman and said, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And around that table, all of the other guests in their mind were thinking, who is this man? Who forgives sins. Indeed. Who is. This man. Jesus who was invited. To this Pharisee's home. Who is he? Well let me just give you. A real. Just thumbnail. Description. Jesus. Is God. In the flesh. Can you imagine? He is God in the flesh. He is 100% man. He's 100% God. That's why the writer, the apostle Paul wrote to the church at Colossae and said, in him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and we are complete in him. Can you imagine? Simon had God at his table for dinner and he didn't even know it. Can you imagine all the other guests are there having dinner with God and they didn't know it. But that prostitute knew it. She knew exactly who he was. See, religion will not lead you to God. Religion will just make you frustrated 
and angry and resentful and bitter and create all kinds of spiritual pride and separate you from people because religion just creates personal arrogance and pride. You're working your way to God. But when you know who Jesus is, it brings great humility because he's God. And he wants to have dinner with you. It's not only God in the flesh. Jesus was nailed to the cross. When he was nailed to the cross, everything you've ever done wrong was nailed to the cross with him. The scripture says the wages of sin is death. Jesus Christ paid the ransom for you so you wouldn't have to. So when he was nailed to the cross, everything you've ever done wrong, the scripture calls them sin, was nailed to the cross with him. That's why the prophet Isaiah said, he has laid, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of our self-willed living, all of our personal selfishness, all the stuff we've done wrong, nailed to the cross with Jesus. When they took him off that cross, they buried him in, in the tomb. Everything we've ever done wrong, all the sin we've ever done wrong, all of our selfishness, all of our pride, everything we've done wrong was buried in the tomb with Jesus to live no more. Jesus walked out of that grave on the third day. And when he did, he left all of everything we've ever done wrong. He left it all in the grave. He walked out of that grave to give us newness of life. And now Jesus Christ says to you, everything you've ever done wrong, your sins can be forgiven and you can go in peace. Can you imagine that? Everything you've ever done wrong can be forgiven and you can go in peace. Your anger's forgiven, go in peace. Your bitterness is forgiven, go in peace. Your selfishness is forgiven. Go in peace. Your immorality is forgiven. Go in peace. Your addictions forgiven. Go in peace. God wants you living in peace. He gives us the ability to live in perfect peace. Wow. How is that even possible? For us to have that whole new life he's talking about and to go in peace. How's it possible for this woman to leave that home and go in peace? It, think about everything she has done wrong. Think about everything you've done wrong. And God says to you, that's not how I want you living. Listen to this passage of scripture in the book of Joel. I read this to the intercessors this morning in the worship team. It's such a powerful passage of scripture. In Joel chapter two, usually when we think of Joel chapter two, we think about this, the scripture that says, 
After those days, saith the Lord, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And, and that's the very next verse after this. But you've got to hear the verses that are before that. Verses 26 and 27. And, and here's how they read. I love this. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. Today it would be I'm in the midst of my church. I'm in the midst of my people. And that I am the Lord your God and there is none else. See, there's no other God but Jesus. That's it. One God, eternally existing in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God. And there's none else. Listen to what he says. And my people shall never again be put to shame. See, everything that you've done in the past, Jesus says, I forgive and I removed it and you'll never be put to shame again. Go in peace. No shame. Go in peace. Amen. How is that possible? Second Corinthians chapter 5, 17 to 21 tells us how that is possible. And you're going to have to forgive me. I forgot my pointer. So we're not going to have the little red bouncing ball to follow. Think you can read without the little red bouncing ball? You probably can, can't you? Okay, here we go. Everyone together, start with therefore. Everyone together, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he has a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He has made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Come on. Yes, amen. That's what makes it possible. Three principles. It's a threefold principle and scripture says the threefold cord is not easily broken. You can't break this. This is absolutely, and it works this way. There are, there are three parts to this principle. Ready? Principle number one, you are born again. That's the first part of the principle. You are born again. Second part of the principle, the power of a renewed mind. And the third part of the principle, this is what we're going to look at next week. The third part of the principle is the hidden secret of the blessings of adversity and hardships and heartache. The hidden secret, the blessing of adversity, hardships, and heartache. Now we're going to look at that next week. Last week we looked at the principle that you're born again. 
Jesus said, you must be born again. Now, go with me on, if you would, please, to the next slide. You must be born again. Here, uh, here's what it's saying. When you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and you ask him to forgive you and come live in your heart, the scripture says that you're born again. That you become a whole new creation, right? If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. You just read it. Old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new, right? You're born again. You receive a whole new identity. You receive a whole new heart, the whole new life. Physically, you're the same person. When I got saved, God didn't suddenly give me hair. Might have been nice. Because I received Christ in high school in my life. And I was already losing my hair in high school. I've never had much hair. You know. Just one of those things. God only makes a few perfect heads in the world. The rest of them he covers with hair. I just had to get that little one in there. (laughs) They... I forgot where I was now. Okay. Okay. (laughs) A new creation. He makes a new creation. Now here's what he does. Listen. He not only forgives your sin. But he says this is the covenant I'll make with them after those days. saith the Lord. I'll put my law in their hearts, on their minds will I write them, and their sin and iniquity I will remember no more. Psalm 103 says he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. Interesting, isn't it? You can go south and get to the south pole. You can keep going and you go north and you get to the north pole and then you start going south again. But that doesn't happen when you go east. You just always go east, go east, go east, go east. You fly west to Europe. You keep going west. Now, the weird thing is you keep going west and you get in the, into the far east. But you're going west. Right? The reason is because if you ever find where east meets west, that's where all the sins that God has forgiven is at. And God says, never. They will never be remembered against you again. They will never be held against you again. Because when you ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin, God holds a divine session in the courts of heaven. And God, the almighty judge, declares you to be forgiven. Then he declares you to be just as if you'd never sinned. Justification, scripture, that that word you see in scripture, justification. But it not only justifies you so that you're just as if you'd never sinned. He imparts to you by divine impartation the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which makes you holy. Judicially, legally, you can never be more holy than you are. Because you're now the righteousness of Jesus. God does all of that when he forgives your sin. Isn't that amazing? You're born again. You're brand new. Now I know. It'll happen for you like it happened for me. My cousin that we did. Oh man. My older cousin got me into more stuff. Awful. I'd been in the ministry for some time. We, we, We had lost connection during my during my years in the military during the Vietnam War and, and then I, I entered in a ministry and we were in Canada for five years and then, then when I came back to the US we were, we were on the East Coast and then we came back to the Northwest and we were in Olympia for I forget how many years bunch of them 
And so we, we'd lost connection. And then, then suddenly we, we reconnected and uh, they looked at me and goes, remember when we used to go and he started telling some of the old stories and I go, I never did that. He looked at me and he goes, yes, you did. We did it together. Remember? We did it, did it, did it. No, I never did that. He goes, what do you mean you never did that? I said, that's the old Dean and he doesn't live anymore. And I've never done that. You're looking at the new Dean. I am a new creation in Jesus Christ. I'm a new man. He goes, yeah, whatever. And that kind of ended our relationship again for a while. And then one Easter morning, he and his wife were sitting on the very front row of, of our church. And at the end of that service, he goes and he says, would you pray for me? I need God in my life. And he didn't receive God that day, but I started praying for him extra earnestly. And he knew that, and we started connecting again. And then, oh, it was about five years later, I got to go to his home and lead him and his wife to saving grace in Jesus Christ. Then he became a whole new creation. I looked at my brother. My brother's also in the ministry. I looked at my brother one day because my, my brother kind of became his pastor and was taking him through discipleship material. And I looked at my brother one day and he said, man, if I'd have known how wonderful this is, I'd have done this 50 years ago. You know, the sad part is he could have because at that time he was going to a gospel preaching church. But he turned away from it in his early teen years went deep into sin and then led me there with him. Then I came to Christ. Then he came to Christ. What am I saying? God makes you a whole new creation. And that's why Jesus said to this woman, go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. But there's another step to it. Not only do we we need to be born again, but the next step is is we must live in the power of a renewed mind. Now this is where the writer of Proverbs says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Okay? And, you, and you, you'll meet people that live in that duplicity, right? They're, they're with their mouth saying one thing, but in their eye, and you know in their heart, there's a whole other thing. What, what they're saying with their mouth is not authentic. It's duplicity. That's why the scripture says a double-binded man is unstable in all his ways. Let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. God wants you to be single-hearted, single-minded. He wants you to have a single heart, a single mind. He wants you to be all out for God. Now, when you're born again, you receive that potential to live that way because he gives you a new heart. But you have to get your heart and your mind in agreement with one another. Because when you come to Jesus, you still got the old mind. You got stinking thinking going on. <laughs> okay? And that's why the Apostle Paul said, I don't get this. I, I, in my heart, I want to do the right thing. But then I keep doing the wrong thing. Ever been there? It's probably because your thinking is there. Or your heart's here. It's kind of like the guy who's trying to be a Christian, but he always lives by Murphy's Law. Well, you need to make a change. You need to make a change. Don't live by Murphy's law anymore. Live by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Because Murphy's law will always kill you. You know, you know how Murphy's law is. Well, if it can go wrong, it will. 
Why are you living by that? Why are you speaking that over your equipment and over your business and over your family and over your kids and over your life? Why are you speaking that? Why don't you speak what God says? God says you're blessed when you go to work. You're blessed when you come home. You're blessed in your kids. You're blessed in your pantry. You're blessed when you wake up. You're blessed when you lie down. You're blessed when you're out walking. You're blessed when you're home. Come on. Live the blessed life. Don't live by Murphy's law. Live by the law of God. Be blessed. Amen? Amen. But see, our old, we, we got to have a transformed mind. That's why the apostle Paul said to the, to the church at Ephesus, when he wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said this to them. Listen closely. He said, put on the new man and put off the old man. So you take the old man, because how many know once we're born again, God has judicially declared us to be as if we'd never sinned. <clears throat> but then we get up in the morning. Right? In other words, our behavior has to start matching what God has judicially declared us to be. I said, our behavior has to start matching what God has judicially declared us to be. Come on. Amen. Now that's that's. That's that big word you're going to see in scripture, sanctify, sanctified, sanctification. And you read that and you go, I don't know what that means. That's all over the New Testament, particularly if you read the book of Romans. It's all over. What does that mean? Well, I told you justified, justification, justify. That means to be just as if you'd never sinned. Sanctification, sanctify, sanctified means to be made holy for God's use. Now that holy is W-H-O-L-L-Y. To be holy for God's use. And the only way you can be holy for God's use is you have to be made holy by His, by the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. That's H-O-L-Y. So God's declared us judicially to be holy. Now our behavior and our mouth needs to become holy. Okay, It's really tough. To convince people you are holy when your mouth is throwing out F-bombs and S-words. Okay? There's, There's a dichotomy there that needs to be narrowed down. So God wants to make your mouth holy, your tongue holy. Come on, don't look at me like in fear and stuff. Come on. We're talking about how you can live a holy life. Come on, amen? Okay? And it's in the only way you're going to be able to consistently start living holy is you got to get your mind holy. That's why Paul said, when he said, if you're going to put off the old man and put on the new man, you got to do it by the renewing of the spirit of your mind. That's why he said in Romans chapter 12 that don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Okay? So, conformed, as you see on the screen, it means behavior and to be socially similar. So he's saying, look, don't let, don't let your worldview and your behavior be like the age in which you're living. Okay? 
I mean, I can't help but that I'm a baby boomer, right? I mean, you just can't change that. I'm a baby boomer. Just like you can't help it if you're a Gen Z or a Gen Y or a Gen X or a baby buster. You can't help that. But can I tell you something? Maybe, maybe you are a Gen Xer, but that doesn't mean you have to be a 90s woman. You may, you may be a Gen Z, you, you, you may be a millennial, but that doesn't mean you have to be like them. Because if your behavior and, and your worldview and your social life is like the world, then that means you're still living by the old mind. And God wants you over here living by the new mind, by a renewed mind. That's the word transformed is the Greek word metamorpho. And we get the English word metamorphosis from that word. What is metamorphosis? That's what turns a a polywog into a bullfrog. Metamorphosis is what turns a woolly worm into a monarch. Metamorphosis is what turns someone who has judicially been declared to be the holiness of almighty God. And turns their behavior in to holy behavior. So the things you once loved you now hate. The things you once hated you now love. The way you used to speak to your kids and your wife... Now you speak blessing and goodness to them. You used to curse your enemies. Now you bless your enemies. You used to get up and go, oh God, it's morning. And now you get up, God, it's Monday morning. Cool. You know, it just changes. It changes you inside by the renewing of your mind. So next week, get ready. Next week. We're going to look at some steps for the renewing of the mind because they connect directly to the secret of discovering how your greatest adversities, your most painful moments, hold the greatest blessings of your life. And you may go, you got to be kidding me. That's the power of a renewed mind. That's the power of a renewed mind. And I want to show you how to get there. We are so blessed that you join us online today. For more resources on how you can grow your relationship with Jesus Christ, visit us online at www.winacity.com. If you would like to speak with someone about your relationship with Jesus Christ or would like prayer, you can contact us at 541-567-4486 or email us at info at